All right, take two on Rabbit Trails podcast. Uh, hit record and didn't hit record, so we weren't recording for that first minute and a half. Ah, uh, no worries. It wasn't that. It wasn't that uh, um, interesting. Honestly, so a little bit of a, a, a deep di- or a, a view into behind the curtain for the folks at home. Uh, earlier that today, uh, I was removing ear hair from the side of my ears. We've yes. now reached that level. And Garrick, you and I often <laughs> talk about the weather, and I had the thought in our first introduction, uh-huh. oh my gosh, we've turned into old people who talk about the old weather. Old people talk about the weather. So here we are. So let's not talk about well, the weather. Well, let's not, but you can reference a great song by, uh, by R.E.M., which makes us seem old too. Which now, also makes us like, seem old. R.E.M., those guys are really old. But in the, in the 80s and 90s, they were... They had what was that? Was a pop song in Nairobi? Because should we talk about the? Has a line. Should we talk about the weather? Should we talk about the government? Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yes, I was. Thinking, I don't know why I was, I was thinking about REM all of a sudden. I, ap- apropos of of being old, uh, I had a conversation with my son the other day. Uh, conversation is the mild word for it. He was he was heated, uh, which means I probably was heated too, because I have uh, two gears, passion and anger. So um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I was passionate or angry, but anyway, we were talking, he, he was not wanting to clean up something and, and make his bed uh, before going to play with a friend. It's summer, he was, and he, he made the comment of, all I wanna do is just go and play with my friends. Is that such a big deal? And I said, Quinn, I'd like to go and play with my friends. I was cooking dinner and I said, I'd like to go and play with my friends too. And he goes, you have friends? <laughs> so, so jab, stab, I'm an old guy with ear hair talking about yes. the weather in REM. And <laughs> REM, which is a great band. It is a great I think band. But those guys are like all in their 60s now. I you know, know I right? It's hard to con- conceive of that, of that all the cultural markers of our youth are now old. Buddy, the, the, the world has moved on. Yes. Oh gosh. Well, Hey, listen, we're going to, I feel, I figure let's get right to it. We're going to do the next few podcasts are going to be shorter um, for the, for the listening public. And, uh, and then we might might take a little bit of a break for summer because this is Europe and uh, we get vacation. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. It's it's not Not to rub it in, in. but it's not exactly that, but it is, it will be good to have a break and and we recognize that uh, the world is, is going to take a break. So, uh, we do a podcast on that, on taking breaks. Actually, Sabbath, that would be an yeah. awesome, an awesome po- a podcast. How to, yeah. I, go, I go back to, I think I may have mentioned on this on the podcast, but there was a Greek guy who once mentioned to me, I was, we were in a, um, a friend of mine, actually Michael Medital, been on the podcast. Uh, yeah. We were in a, uh, we were in Greece uh, doing a, a debrief there and uh, a uh, Greek guy running a, like a little uh, convenience store uh, made a comment. He said, you Americans, he said, you live to work. We Greeks work to live. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's actually a really profound statement. Uh, anyway, so lots to learn there, but that's not our subject for today. Uh, our subject for today, uh, Garrick, what is our subject for today? I think we wanted to keep going on a little bit, talking about secular culture, uh, particularly in Europe, um, but this also applies to really anywhere in the, uh, I hate to say Western world, but the, you know, kind of what we would maybe say uh, secular leaning world, right? Yeah. Uh, Australia, North America, probably even a lot of universities around the world uh, or elite institutions. 
um, definitely Western Europe where, where you and I work. But um, talk, we, we, you and I have been kind of working through some books by a guy named Stefan Poss. And uh, he's got a great book, which I highly recommend, Pilgrims and Priests, Christian Mission in a Post-Christian Society. Uh, and he, he's got just some, just a lot, lots of wisdom, lots of ways of helping us unpack and think about um, the culture we're in and what that means for mission. Yeah. Um, because I think we we all are experiencing this at some point, and Poss writes about the, the crisis of mission in, in Western Europe, particularly, and how do we how do we understand? You see a lot of people hit it, and they they just it it, it, it derails people, uh, and maybe can can cause us to question our faith, which is not actually a bad thing, um, but it can be a derailing factor. Uh, what, what what I think you and I've noticed is people tend to go in two different directions. One is pretend it's not there and keep doing the same thing that works everywhere else or just come to this kind of hit a wall and go, well, this isn't going to work. So it's time to move on. And what I think you and I, I've always been interested in talking about is how can we help help ourselves primarily, but also others uh, who we work with and lead and, um, uh, you know, partner with, how can we help them see what's really going on here and understand it within a, Christian and biblical framework. So it's not, it's not one of these two things. So we become effective, but also we become uh, understanding of what's happening in and around us to us in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think, I think there's a, um, I think one of the things that, that Poss really brings up that I think is, is, or his perspective on things that's beneficial is that he's in the middle of it, but he, he has an ability to, to pull back when, um, and kind of look at it from a very 30,000 foot view, but he brings in a lot of context of history. So he kind of reviews what is the European, uh, what is the history of the church in Europe? Uh, what's yeah. the context of that? And where do we find ourselves today? He kind of throws in some of the enlightenment in there. He uh, reviews some of that, the reformation, what it was the good with the bad. He brings in just a lot of different contexts. Um, in his first book that we mentioned, um, which was, and I'm blanking on the name. Oh, church, church planning, church planning in the southern west. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he doesn't mention a lot. He doesn't take into account a lot of um, more uh, the Pentecostal movements as a result of Sub-Saharan Africa or uh, or Central or South America. He does a, a little bit more in this book, and so I was happy to see that. Um, but I I think you're right. I I think the the thing that can be, it's discombobulating, I think, is the, the way I would put it. So one of the ways in which I would describe Europe is um, imagine if you are in the Tokyo subway, okay? Um, it's just tons of people moving around you, uh, pushing on you, everything else. And so you know that's coming, right? So you plant both feet. Okay, that's traditional. And so you're able to kind of take the the hits and move with them. That's what I would say is missions in a context like where I first did at Central Asia. I knew everything was different. I landed and everything was so different. And so I firmly always tried to have my feet planted on me. And I was constantly questioning, constantly thinking. One of the most difficult things to do now, this is as a foreign missionary. I'm not necessarily sure that a Swede thinks this. Uh, but as a foreign missionary um, in Western Europe, 
one of the things that's most discombobulating is the fact that I'm now standing in that same rushed area with people going by me, but now I have one foot pulled up. Everything looks similar and I'm expecting it to be exactly the same um, because it, it feels Western. It feels things that I'm, fam my familiarity level with it is so much. And so that's why, yeah. I, but there's just enough different that I pull up one foot uh, and when you get hit, you get knocked over and you go, what on earth was that? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that a lot of people have that, that feeling when trying to apply or trying to think through certain, I would say certain modes of mission yeah. um, in Western Europe, and then it becomes discombobulating. And so your yeah. response is, well, I've just got to try harder or I've, I, I just give up or I blame, I blame the outsider. So, or, yeah. the insider. or, it's, or I, I'm doing something wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and when, and where Poss seems to be getting is that maybe it's not any of those, maybe, yeah. maybe Europe is a certain way. Yeah. Um, and so you and I were, were talking about the way Europe is. So how would, how would you describe or how would, how would Poss describe and how yeah. would you describe Europe? Yeah. Well, and I'll make one quick comment too. I think what, what you brought up is really, really important is that there, there's layers, right? So there's the European secular culture, but under that is afterwards Spanish culture, which is the right. whole, so, so you're often dealing with, uh, you know, multicultural, but a lot of stuff coming in in different areas. And so it's not, it's not going into a village, uh, which traditionally we think mission is going to a tribe or, uh, you know, a village, which is very homogenous in how it thinks there's a lot of control, uh, and it, it, it's got kind of one gear um, and not to say it's not complex or anything, but, it, but what we're dealing now in Europe, probably a lot of the, you know, the modern or late modern, whatever you want to call it, postmodern, late modern world, liquid modern is we've got these, these huge layers of, of culture, which sometimes even in the same person push and fight against each other. Um, but your question, Poss, so Poss makes a very interesting case, uh, which I think is maybe really helpful for us. Um, he makes a case that probably Europe has never been particularly Christian uh, and that you've always had uh, a, a core and that, that maybe that core is, is shrinking the core of people who are, are hundred percent in and, and, and ready to go. And they're, they're the committed, they're the people who fund missions and, and, and go on, you know, missions who, who go to our church and become priests, become pastors who, uh, who are, you know, deeply into, uh, into faith. It's not an obligation. It's their, it's their will, their choice. But beyond that, Christianity, because post-Constantine accepting Christianity, has had this other group of people, and what he calls it is vicarious religion. People who look at religion and go, hey, that's cool. Uh, it's good for me because I can get married there. It provides that service. It, it'll, it gives some, I can bring my kid there and he gets baptized or christened. Uh, and that provides some kind of entry point into um, uh, society or, or, you know, belonging, or, you know, I know if I have a problem, I can go to that church. So it's, it's not a bad thing, but it's, it's, it's this distance. So it's called vicarious religion where there's a distance. The, the, the way that, the way that he describes it, that, that, that I thought was really helpful is he, he described it as, um, Europeans look at church like the hospital. Yeah. You, you don't want funny. to go there. Yeah. But you are certainly glad that it exists should the need yeah. arise for you to go there. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really helpful perspective. And I would, I, I, I would agree. So, so sorry, continue. No, no, no. I think, I think that's, I think that was great. I really like that. He called what the Dutch call, 
what the, it was like church on wheels because it right. was like the hospital, the hospital. Right. right. So, uh, yeah. and I think you see that in Spain a lot because you see a lot of, uh, in Spain, what you, what, what I see is you see anti-clericalism, right? So people are against the church. You see some atheism, uh, but you, and, and you see mainly people just like, yeah, I'm not really interested in it, but there's a strong, you can still, you can still put in your taxes that you want to give money to the church. Right. Yeah. You can still, um, you know, most people, if you start talking really badly about the Catholic church, they get, they'll, they'll get like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, you know, <coughs> excuse me. So, um, so, so it's interesting uh, that there's still some kind of tacit support. Now he says, I think he makes a point that that's dying out, that, that right. vicariousness is right. so it's not as easy to find people who are, who are interested in, who, who are distant from the church, but still positive or distant to Christianity, but still willing to go, you know, if you were to bump into them on the street and share the gospel with them, they would have a more positive response or might even begin to, to move towards um, Jesus. So I think, you know, that's, that's kind of his, his, his bigger idea here. Yeah. So, so what, a couple of things to that extent, obviously there's spectrum, obviously every country yep. and then regions with it. One of the things that you and I were having a conversation about uh, uh, all the different languages in Spain the other day of like, you know, different, how different regions, like what was it in Valencia that you could actually learn? What is the name of the language there? Valenciano. Yeah. Valenciano. Like I had no clue that yeah. Valencia had its own language. Cause you know, I'm ignorant. Um, but in Europe is kind of that way. Um, it's, it can be very regional because it wasn't just these nation states that we see, we see today. However, uh, I would even say, so as I've reflected on, on PAS a little bit, um, Sweden in the context, which I think is on the cusp of atheist agnostic. Very, very much. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's extreme in the sense of how, how far it is on those regards. So, um, people still want, uh, in large measure, the church. So if you push an, a, a, an ethnic Swede um, mm-hmm. and you say, hey, what is your belief? They'll be like, well, I'm, I'm atheist agnostic. I'm not religious. Um, they're, not, they're not really interested in those things. But interestingly enough, they don't want to see the, the, the institution of the Swedish church um, killed. They want to try to preserve part of yeah. that history, or at least a, a good measure of them do. And so what I would, what I would say is, um, I think that what is reflected in Sweden in that sense is the person who is mostly atheist agnostic, they're passive agnostics. So yeah. they kind of say, I don't know, don't care. And I actually think that that would, would jive or, or, or work well with what Pass is saying, is that a lot of Europe... Um, has not ever been particularly religious. Um, yep. Actually, I think is it Ed Stetzer makes this point about America is that the, or maybe no, maybe it was Rasmus. Oh, I forget who it was. Anyway, one pollster or something makes the same point of America is that the high point of American involvement in church was the 1950s and 1960s. Mm-hmm. That 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 was the high point, and before that, it was actually always a minority of people. So one of the things that Poss gets to in his book, Pilgrims and Priests, that he eventually really develops, and I think it's an incredibly important idea. Uh, he, he looks at First Peter 
um, in talking about the remnant of people and talking about this idea that we're pilgrims, that we're priests to, to a world that in large measure has rejected Christ. He really looks at that as a framework of how to do missions in yep. this, in this secular culture. Um, and, uh, I, I really think that it's a, it's a really, it's the beginnings of a really good way of thinking. The question I have in this, we can talk about this maybe a little bit, is that defeatism. So what we're essentially saying is, look, Europe's never really been fully Christian in the sense of you've had these people on the, who are, would consider themselves Christians have been in the church, but not really in an evangelical sense, have never taken their, their, their faith very seriously, maybe even don't actually really believe the gospel or fully understand it. Um, we're kind of conceding that point. And then, th then there's next steps that need to follow. But I think my first question that I want to talk about is, is that just defeatism? Are we just saying, hey, Europe's just always been this way. Don't worry about it. Uh, and then what does that have to say about mission in, in the endeavor that we're involved in? Mm -hmm. a, a, a couple of things. So I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. And I hadn't really considered it too much because I can see people, uh, you know, because there is a, a sense of mourning, right? That we have to go through that, that to, to realize that the same, the things have changed. And that's a big thing in the missional conversation about, you know, leaving what, what we assumed or thought was this one thing. And, and maybe it was never that. Uh, and, and that's necessary um, to do. Uh, so let's see. I, I would say on the, on the flip side, of that he makes a very strong case about this: the, the the dying of vicarious Christianity. He says, and he says it really interestingly. He says, when Christianity does not have this wind in its sails, so the wind that Christianity is culturally inviting, or it looks good to people to become a Christian, right? So there's not not to say that people become, would then make huge choices to follow Jesus because it looks good, but it, it's, it, it makes it a lot easier to make that jump, right? You know, uh, when he says well, it doesn't have this in its sales, there will still be people who convert for individual reasons, but mass conversions and great revivals will most likely not occur. Um, and I think, so his, so his thing, that's what he's saying, is like the, the, you have to have a certain kind of a mass of people who have a vicarious interest in Christianity for those people then to make in large groups or in large streams of people go into that. And I, and uh, so I think him helping us helps us to see why that's not happening. Uh, is, is that defeatism? Um, I, I don't think so. I think we, biblically we look at things and we don't see that mass conversions, mass movements. I don't think we see that even in this history of the church, that's normal. There should be growth. There should be people coming to Christ. Uh, but if we, if we look at the, the Muslim world, we, I think we are seeing in some places some pretty big movements, but that's yeah. after years of trickles and trickles of one or two people. I think the other thing to keep in mind is that Europe, Europe has been through cycles of this. I, mean, I think if you think, you know, the famous book, uh, How the Irish Saved Christianity or Saved Europe. Civilization. It, civilization, right? And how that was a movement. Uh, that was a movement originally of a guy, St. Patrick, and you know, a handful of very committed missionaries going into a very dark, difficult place, Ireland, which was at the time the fringe of the fringe, where you didn't want to go, and how they came in and, and, and through, uh, through the gospel changed the culture. At yeah. the same time, there was a massive you know, 
breakup of the Roman Empire. Uh, there's a massive breakup of European Christianity where it collapsed and where people left the church and the Irish went back in and re-evangelized. And that was kind of what, um, uh, you know, so, so I think at the same time, we've been through these cycles. That doesn't mean at some point Christian, Christian growth isn't going to happen again. Right. But it means maybe we should not be the ones expecting it. We sh- should be the Patrick who goes in and sees a handful of conversions, but it's his disciples or disciples after that who continue to, uh, you know, continue to see growth. And yeah, so so I think I think I, so I think that that's a, a really a really great example. Um, so there's a couple of couple of thoughts there that I have because um, I I think this is a really important point to make. Uh, I don't think Poss is saying, um, don't pray for revival. I don't think no. Poss is saying, and I don't think we would say that. I don't think no. I would say it's never going to happen. What I think, though, that the, a shift that has occurred in my head is, I think I assumed um, the gospel that... Mm, the ultimate goal was mass conversions. So, so I need to preach. I need to, to move people onto a movement that ultimately would roll down a hill. Yeah. And I think what Poss is helping me to see, and as I'm rereading First uh, Peter and I'm, as I'm considering some of these things, what I'm seeing is that faithfulness is actually the goal. And I think, I think, that I had a sense of, no, 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 no. It, it has to be this, this, we have to see large numbers of people. And if we're not seeing large numbers of people, because the gospel is powerful, the gospel will create movement. Jesus wants all people to be saved. Therefore, if you're doing it right, you'll see numbers. And what I'm coming to the realization of it is, as I actually think, no, that may not necessarily be the case, but that doesn't mean that we're not doing what Christ says we should do. That doesn't mean that we start, that we just lay down and we say, well, we're never going to preach again. It, it just means that, that there's this realization that in, most, in many places, if a faithful remnant is all that exists, we rejoice in that remnant because it's, it's reflecting Christ well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, and I think, that that's, I think that that's an important distinction to make. And I, I hope it's clear because I, I think sometimes it's, it's easy to hear these things and go, and go oh, you're just saying it's not the gospel doesn't work. And that's not actually what I'm saying. No. I'm saying that yep. And in some measure, the, the people that we're, we're, we're speaking to are, are persnickety and, and don't necessarily want the gospel, but that doesn't mean that the gospel isn't true. I think we do a real disservice when we attach numbers to the efficacy of the gospel. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's a dangerous but, game. And I, I think, I think, you, you know, you get to a, a key point here, you know, to, to, to kind of follow along a bit more with Poss here in, in this chapter, he says, for the first time in a long history of Western Christianity, Western Christianity has to learn what it means to do mission without, in almost every respect, being stronger than the receiving culture. Yep. So in Western Europe, Christianity is not seen as something that brings something positive, that brings maybe even economic advantage. It doesn't have a leg up in any way, shape, or form in Western Europe. And so he goes, he goes on and says, um, mission in the more secularized West uh, areas of the West is a matter of harvesting one by one. So I think he's saying, and, and I think Newbig and a lot of these guys would say, okay, we're going back to a time where we're, it's, it's, a, it's, a, 
liminal unknown time because Christianity has died out. So it's not going into a culture that's never had Christianity. Christianity, but it's becoming like that. And so what we're seeing is a, is a need to shift our expectation uh, away from big numbers. Uh, but, but then I think his kicker is, he says this, at the same time, this means a serious crisis for Christian mission, which is you know what we're talking about. Because for the first time in a long time, Christians must learn what it means to be weak and foolish. Yeah. But we, we, so that's a hard lesson to learn. But I would say that's exactly the lesson Jesus asked us to learn when he says, take up your cross and follow. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that, that's very much his point, right? Is that part of mission is learning what it means to be like Christ. It's learning what it means to give up your rights, to submit to him, to love others. It, it's an incredibly difficult thing. Um, so he, he also says that, you know, we're, we're, I feel like we're reading it a lot, but there's some really profound thoughts here. He says yeah, that yeah. decades of post, post-war missional thinking have been characterized by finding the most effective missional structures, models. But in the end, there are no missional structures, only missional people. It's impossible to engineer, yeah. ourselves, engineer ourselves into the mission of God. In a sense, we need to find out what it means to receive mission as a gift rather than a task, as a way of being that has its reward in itself rather than in what it produces. Amen. Yep. I, it's, it's, it's a it is it's a it's a paradigm shift for for me, uh, but it, it's a freeing one in a lot of sense uh, because it it says my 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 first and primary goal is to make Jesus known and to reflect Him, but it doesn't mean that I'm. It's not a strategy. It's yep. it is a being. Yeah, and and that's a really I think a really healthy thing. Yeah, no, I think it's huge. But, and I think it forces us into this position to realize we're in a, we're in a different position, but we're in it, we're in a more biblical position. Right. You know, and, and, and if you want to get into the whole decolonization stuff, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. And, and I think there's some critique there that was right. Right. Of like, okay, when you come in power mm-hmm. there, there, you lose something. Yep. Um, but, but I, I do think most missionaries came under, uh, to, they subverted power more than, and, and control more than, more than even sometimes they're aware of. I, I believe that uh, because the, the essence of the gospel, even when it gets caught up in cultural issues, uh, is still the, the servant king who died for his people, um, which, is, which is, that message is profoundly revolutionary and radical and controversial. Um, Yep. In, the, in, the, in the world we live in, but in this in this thing, we we're we're maybe more and more disentangling ourselves from. Uh, but it's hard. We're disentangling ourselves from that slick, cool. You know, maybe that's what it is now in our day. It's, it's Christianity has to look cool and slick and and be, you know, air quotes relevant. Uh, when in fact, maybe that's never what it's supposed to have been. Yeah, so I, I think I think some of the big takeaways so far from Pass and as we reflect on on Europe um, are that it's not a new situation that many people are not interested in the gospel, um, but that they see some utility 
uh, in some kind of faith, but admire it from a vicarious distance. Yeah. Um, that that's not a new spot. And as the world increases in secularity and postmodernism, that we shouldn't be surprised that that's the case. I think yeah. the other thing that's important to remember, and this is, this is probably for another podcast, but the question of, does the gospel mean there's always increasing growth in numbers to the point of full acceptance as a society? I think yep. Poss makes the case that that is not the case, yep. in which case I think we do have to revisit some of our, our missiology, some of our, our thinking about it. I think some of the best missiologists would, would agree with my statement there, yep. um, but, but I don't necessarily know that the literature of church planting and or missiology uh, from a popular standpoint uh, assumes that. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, I think for, for me, I think just continually the big, the big takeaway is, look, if you're in a tough situation, do not be discouraged because the gospel is good enough and powerful enough and worthy enough to change lives yeah. and to be, and to be worshiped or, or rather Jesus is to be worshiped, not, not the gospel. But so, but I think we miss that because it, we as humans and I know I've done this, tend to tie up our value in our production. Yeah. And that's, yeah. A, da that's a dangerous game. Yeah. Well, the book here, so the, 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 the novel to read on this, the best novel I've ever read on missions is Silence by Shisako Endo, which mm. they made a movie. Right. The movie's fantastic as well. But the book is, is, is even better and more powerful. But it, it is a clear renunciation of this, this concept that success it will follow after Jesus. And, and the message of that, of that book is, no, 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 Jesus does it all. And mm. Jesus has it under control. And whatever you can offer, Jesus is ha happy with it, but he, he, he will take care of you. He will take care of it. He will take care of what happens. And we need to simply trust in what he did for us on the cross. On the cross sorry. Um, so it's a great book. I, I highly recommend reading Silence. Uh, because it's a little bit of Europe. What, 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 where is God when it seems that he is silent? Hey, if anyone ever does a comparison of, of Japan and Sweden, they come away thinking they might be the same country. So I yep. think anything I can learn from Japan, I can apply in Sweden. So it's, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, Garrick, always a pleasure, man. Awesome, uh, we'll, man. we'll continue to delve into past. Yeah. Uh, for those of you listening, if you could like us on iTunes, give us a review, pass us on to some other people, help us discover new listeners. We appreciate send us a message. it. Send us a message. Uh, send, send, send less constructive messages to Garrick Regner. Send very <laughs> constructive messages to me. All right. <laughs> we'll talk to you later, man. <laughs> Adios.